named our podcast the World Class Agency Podcast, not because we thought we were world class, but because we try and get closer to it every conversation that we have. What does World Class Estate Agency look like to you? World Class Estate Agency is all about people. The good estate agents add adds an incredible amount of value to the consumer. He's, he's looking after the customer properly, so being approachable, being accessible. And for me, every day's a learning day. What does being a world-class agent mean to you? Hello and welcome to today's episode of the World Class Agency Podcast. My name is Mark Worrell from Love to Move. I'm joined as ever by Sam Hunter from Home Search. Sam, I'd like to say the sun is shining. The sun is not shining in the northwest, but the property market is booming. There is talk of a stamp duty holiday um, coming soon, and Home Search has launched in the last week. How is it going, my friend? It is going. I would say uh, it's interesting. This the stamp duty noise, and that's I think what I will call it. It's probably a good place to start our podcast today because, in theory. Changes to stamp duty, stamp duty holidays, or whatever you want to call them, a reduction in what people have to pay for the privilege of moving home is good news. Yep. But when you dive into a deeper, an announcement for announcement's sake is bad news because it's just going to freeze people, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I spoke to a couple of my mates this morning who work for uh, Deloitte, and they are all uh, like not working reduced hours or anything, but uh, are being a little bit more cautious about their spending than perhaps they were in the past, shall mm-hmm. we say, uh, all of whom were in the market to be looking to buy something at some stage, thinking that this would be a good year for them. Um, and now they're just like, well, we're going to buy in London. So it's going to be more than 500 grand, you know? Uh, so if things are going to change and it's going to cost us less or, and, or anyone else not in their boat and it's outside of London, it's going to be less than 500 grand. And they say it's going to come in in November. It's just going to, pause the market yeah they, they can't they can't do that can they if they do that that will be a criminal criminal thing to do to the property market let's hope and i would say now the cat is out of the bag if if they you know if they announce for november that'll be a bit of a nightmare i think if they announce they've got to announce straight away which will give the property market i mentioned on the intro booming maybe that's not the right word but we've definitely bounced back a lot of people we've had on the show have been really positive um, about the future. A lot of people, you know, as far as childcare goes, brought the majority of their workforce back from people I'm speaking to. So another shot in the arm, fantastic. But as you say, if, it get, if they announce it now for it to come into effect in November, no, man, that is going to be the worst possible thing for agents because that will just freeze the pipeline. Yeah, it's, it's just another example of, uh, good idea, bad application, I think, you know, and not actually taking consultation and asking for things. I hope that it doesn't. Like, I hope that they announce it and just plug it in because yeah. it will, uh, even for the people who later in the year are forced to move, that could be the difference between them actually buying something again, you know, or uh, somebody actually buying their place to allow them to move forward with their lives. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. Um, unfortunately, everyone, we're all in the same boat. We've all just got to play the waiting game uh, and see what comes of it tomorrow, at whenever the announcement is. So, yeah. or, so by yeah, the time, or, or today, the whenever the announcement is, if anyone's listening to this yeah. tomorrow. Yeah, well, I think um, by the time by the time most people listen to this, it will probably have have, have been announced. But yeah, 
yeah, fing- well, fingers crossed it's announced anyway. We've got to start doing this podcast after the news comes out, not before it's announced. That'll be a good, <laughs> that'll be a good thing for the future. Um, yeah, so that's, that's interesting. Home search is going well. Um, thank you for asking for that as well. It, uh, our, our lives are just getting feeds set up. We can't do them fast enough. Um, and I don't say that as like, a, we've got so much to do. It's literally we can't do them fast enough. Yeah. We have more people asking us when is our feed going to go live than we do setting up new ones. Um, so that's a, a pain point for us at the moment, but it's just going to be a few weeks of pain to get through everything. Um, I think when <laughs> I now have more respect for, for people who've launched this sort of stuff in the past, when they actually <laughs> build it and launch it and then bring people on one, two, three, four a day or whatever it is, rather than trying to get thousands all set up at once. And uh, our team has been pretty phenomenal in terms of just uh, their days, uh, Groundhog Day. Uh, you know, hey, yep, cool. We need to confirm everything. You need to be sending this to your CRM and requesting it all. We are live now. You wanted to wait to see what it looked like. Now you see what it looks like. Can you do this? So it's just, yeah, uh, day in, day out. That's what it is. Uh, but we'll get through it. Interesting you talked about that. Um, so I hope you're quite happy for me to ask you this question. I'm sure you will be. Um, but John Savage, when he came on the podcast, talked about pain-associated learning. I'm sure that was the term he used. Mm. So throughout... All of this, you obviously made a very bold move um, at the start of lockdown to say we're going to be building this portal. We're going to do it in 100 days. Um, what sort of things would you have done different if you had your time again? And what have you learned from the process? Uh, had we had our time again, I don't think we would have changed much about the announcement uh, and the way that we marketed what we did in terms of bringing people in, showing them how we were building it, taking feedback on features and everything like that, I definitely would have taken the pressure off us to do it so fast. Yeah. yeah. I think that our team internally has suffered um, from a mental perspective, from a physical perspective. Like we've achieved a lot um, to get to where we are, you know, and we did what we said we were going to do in terms of launch and get eyes on it. And there's still a massive way to go. Um, I think that sorry uh, for everyone who's playing along uh, i was just finishing my rubik's cube which is probably what you could hear in the background of mark has just told me off for it um yeah i think i think we would have said what we we're going to do we would have shown people along that has been a really good way of people understanding our methodology yeah. and the way that we work and, and i guess who we are as like leaders of the business but also given our people an idea of the kind of business that we really want to bring forward um that scene us had like we've had more success in terms of speaking to agents than we really ever thought possible mm-hmm. um, and that's allowed us to think about the future of our business a little bit as well so we're not ever gonna be that sort of sales orientated business it's very much train and retain mm-hmm. make sure that if somebody is just using our service for free that they use it as best they can and they help upskill them on how to make the most of a free portal and stuff like that and that relationship it's a bit like what we talk about with the agency that relationship will lead into more and more things as we go along um, but I think for, for all of our sakes and for the product sake as well, like we released it last week, um, the application works really well. The listing data itself needs to just be added to and added to and added to. And I would say that that's probably going to be a six or eight week process to get every one of those branches actually fed into there. Um, the CRMs to their credit are doing a good job. Um, we've verbally agreed terms with these EPG owned ones. I'm just waiting on a contract for that as well, which is cool. And to give them some credit, they've been good to deal with. Uh, so yeah, 
we would have said what we were doing, that we're going to do it, what it looks like, how it's going to work. But we wouldn't have put a time frame on yeah. when it was going to be ready because I think that that would have taken the pressure off us a little bit, but also made sure that we released something that was more solid for a user. So the consumers are going to have a really good experience, but more solid from the agent perspective as well. Um, and I would, I would definitely tell you there, there is some pain associated learning <laughs> that we've gone through. I think last week particularly was the hardest week of my business life, I reckon. Yeah. Um, in terms of just long days, long nights, uh, every piece of stress that's in the business is absorbed by Giles and I, I think. Um, and I think that's what, that's sort of the price you pay when you try and be the leader of the business. Um, and I think that's the privilege that you get is to sort of shield the people in your business from that sort of stuff as well, um, to allow them just to get on with their life and their job with a clear head. Um, but yeah, at, 5.30 on Friday, I deleted my emails off my phone uh, <laughs> just so I, and then had the weekend with Felicity. And yeah, I wouldn't say Monday morning rolled around. I felt a million bucks, but I felt a lot better Friday afternoon for having two solid nights sleep and three full meals every day and things like that. So yeah, we, I mean, we'll, we've got some more big plans uh, and we'll, we'll probably follow the same process of announcing them and telling people what they are and inviting our competitors to copy them but we won't say we're going to do them in a hundred days. I guess, I guess that's, you know, really good takeaways from you. Thank you for sharing. As, as I say, apologies for putting you on the spot a little bit there, but the timescale, you probably got the benefit of, you know, compressing what might have taken double the amount of time into a shorter period of time. But I think what you've done with sharing and being so much of an open book is I think, you know, a learning that a lot of agents can take and implement into their business. And um, I've spoken to, to today's guest before we introduce him, and he was very kind with his time when I was talking to him about his business model. And I think there is now a movement within our industry to share ideas mm. with other like-minded agents, not in the same village or the same town or anything like that. Um, but we're doing this series now of uh, Facebook groups. There is such a good idea sharing network going on out there. And I'm a, I'm a great believer now in that open book sort of philosophy, if you will, you know, mm. it's not, it's not a problem to tell someone what we're doing because we're already two or three steps ahead of you know, somebody implementing it now. And if somebody implements it in our town, great, because that'll drive us on to be even better at it. Yeah, I think chances are the majority of people won't do it either because yeah. they'll say something like, oh, that will never work. Um, or they'll put it in the too hard basket or they're happy with the status quo or whatever it may be. Um, and all sharing your ideas does is you'll either learn more about them and you'll be able to iterate. Them. Like this is the thing that... Uh, particularly I've learned over the last three years is you can have a good idea, but one, you don't know if it's good and two, you don't know how to make it better until you put it out there. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like the first draft of a novel. Nobody, no one, no publisher prints the first draft, you know, hopefully no author sends out the first draft. You rewrite and you rewrite and you rewrite after you've read it, after you've had criticism from it and everything like that. And that's very much the process that we follow. Um, I think, it's also a young agents, they go through that, you know, they learn, uh, 
the right ways of asking a question or the right way of negotiating and they go to these training courses and they understand their bit and you know it does matter experience does matter i think at the end of the day in a lot of what we talk about and what we do um but you only get experience by living the game you know by actually being on the field understanding it everything like that so yeah i don't know whether we will change our philosophy um from the the pain that we've had i think we'll probably just slow it down to a degree um which which i think is a, a good thing certainly for us internally but probably a good thing for everybody as well so you, you don't know what you don't know and um with that learning shall we shall we dive in and introduce today's guest yeah let's do it today's guest is one of the pioneers of the self-employed model currently taking the uk property market by storm he is an out-of-the-box thinker who has built his agency power bespoke into a massive success since launching in 2014. He now trains agents to do the same and runs his power agent Facebook group. While he admits he is pretty crap at DIY, as his Instagram will attest, he's a fantastic estate agent. And in, in our opinion, he has the best name for an estate agent. Perry Power, welcome to the World Class Agency podcast. Morning, double morning. Well early in the morning. <laughs> We're lucky to have you up, eh? I definitely ain't one of these 5 a.m. club kind of geezers, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, we appreciate you waking up early for us um, and giving us your time today. So um, I wanted to start, Perry, with talking about a bit of a buzzword. It's used all the time, but we had a chat um, a few weeks ago and you were sort of very clear in the culture that you've got in your agency. I think you called it a performance culture. Can you talk us through what that means and, and give some examples of how it works in practice? Yeah, yeah, defo. So I can't really take all the credit for this because I didn't know anything about culture until three years ago when the business was on its arse and I had to take on some help from a kind of mentor coach. But what we really started to get to the bottom of is what Power Bespoke is about in terms of culture and coming to join us and why people joining us, not just for money and all that kind of jazz. And when my mentor was talking me through the kind of four types of culture you can have where you've got your family culture, which is something that we're definitely not wanting. And it's weird because when we were going through the culture, we were kind of mapping it and we, it was asking me questions and we fit it into the performance culture by default. We just didn't really know it or I didn't know it at that time. So you're going through, you've got your family culture where you're one big happy family and that's not really how I want it to be because I've got a family that I love very much and I don't need any more family. My own ones do my head enough as it is at times. Um, then you've got your, your parental culture, which is like a bit more of the employed, uh, the employed mentality of I'm your boss, do as I say, I'm your dad, do as I say. It's kind of, and I didn't really want that either. Um, then you've got your toxic culture, which I know one wants one of them, obviously, but there's whenever all the bitching and behind people's backs going on. And then you've got the one that we want, which is the performance culture. And it's really interesting because you talked on the intro, which was a very big intro, Sam. I feel very like under pressure to perform today now. Um, <laughs> that um, there's, there's all these businesses out there not really knowing what real culture they have. And particularly with the whole business that these self-employed agents are joining, but also with, with the agent. A lot of agents don't really know what culture they have running through their veins. Do you know what I mean? So theirs might be 
is it performance? Are they really focused on selling 30, 40 units a year or three because they're doing it part time? And, and I just think culture for us was really important to get right, particularly when there's so many options for agents to join at the minute if, if they want to be a self-employed agent. Can you take us into performance culture a little bit deeper? Because I think that it sounds really good when you say you know, performance culture. Um, but I think that people probably just assume that that is money in the bank. Like, can you run us through what a performance culture looks like at a sort of high level? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's the kind of disciplines and the structures that you stick to to be a high performer. So if an agent ain't prospecting on Friday, they ain't sticking to the performance way of being. It's all very well saying that you're a performance agent or I'm a high performer. But if you're not doing the little stuff at a ground level that makes you that performance agent, then um, that's important. It's about um, between the agents, we've got like a little, and I love it, you know, this is where you see the performance come into its own. Um, an agent are put in the WhatsApp group, just got an asking price offer on so-and-so, right? And then all the agents reply saying, yeah, but we don't accept the first offer. Like that just is a massive thing in the business is starting to come to fruition. Um, it's the dashboards now that we've got built as in like percentage of original asking price. So forget everyone. We've got a leaderboard now because we've moved on to Salesforce, which is epic. So we've now got leaderboards on average days on market, uh, percentage of original asking price, percentage of marketing price at time of sale agreed. Um, all those little numbers, uh, self-generated business, that's really important because you can't be a high performer if the brand is generating you every single appraisal that you're going to do. You've got to be able to generate appraisals. Um, so we've got a leaderboard for that. So just stuff like that, really. Just just making it about... And it hasn't got to be 200, 220 grand a year bank. Like That's not necessarily... High performance is what you define it to be. So some of our agents, like Nicole, she's really keen on, um, on working a really structured four-day week. So because we've got really good support and I know people batter about about support you know support the agents but we've got you know viewing support booking support all laid on for the agent um but she wants to be a high performer and her definition may be banging in 150 170 a year working a four-day week and that is to me is pretty high performance if you if you're working a four-day week so um, sorry Mark you go so there's a lot of structure in there but also a lot of consistency, exactly the same things done the same way every time. Welcome. That is real estate in two words. <laughs> yeah, it, Love it. it's the boring stuff. We talk about it every week. You know, so many people get into this because they want to buy a new suit and drive a Mercedes, not understanding that the reality of like world-class real estate is just, it is discipline. You know, it's the boring stuff. It's do you have what it takes to get out of your own way and make 20 phone calls every single day of your life? you know, and build relationships every single day. I'll have to earn the right to potentially one day make 15 or 20 grand off that relationship, you know? And I'm just, and I'm just brutal with my structure. I really am because I, you know, performances to me, stuff like, you know, great, you're working 12 hours a day, but could you, you could probably do what you're doing in six hours a day. So let's not kind of blow smoke up your ass saying you're working hard. And I'm like a Friday, I will not do an appointment. I don't care if you've got a 10 million pound house and you want to offer me 2%. I'll be saying to you, I'm so busy. I'm back to back with clients all day that day because I'm a really good agent and I'm really in demand. But I can see you Monday night at nine o'clock 
not Monday, Tuesday night at nine o'clock because Monday night's client contact. I just, but I just won't do it because at what, at what cost are you doing that? That's what I look at. At what cost mm. are you doing it? And it's probably because one of my clients ain't getting a deep laugh update or I'm not doing a loom video for every single client. And I'm a bit OCD, right? Me and my wife, a perfect couple. She's like OCD with the house to a whole nother level, by the way. And, but I'm OCD with work. I cannot finish a Monday without, if one client didn't get a loom video with a full update of what's come on the market around them, what's been reduced around them, when we should think about reducing the price potentially, like two or three weeks ahead of actually needing to reduce the price. Then I'm sitting there itching on my sofa. I can't switch off and get into Netflix. So to, to not do that, the cost of that to me is not having to be able to relax later on tonight. But then if you're doing an appraisal on a Friday because someone's like, oh, well, you know, I'm seeing other agents. Great. Have a chat with them. Hope it goes well. But I'd love to see you on Tuesday night. I just won't do it. Um, you spoke earlier about your mentor um, and, and how that you credit a lot. And it, I believe it's Royston Guest. And I was just wanting to sort of, if you could maybe talk about the relationship of having a mentor or even just talking about your relationship with Royston and, and you know, you credit that for having a massive impact on the business and almost turning the ship towards what you guys are doing now, you know, like, can you talk us through what it's like having a mentor, how important it is, uh, how much it's changed your business and what you'd recommend to anyone out there who potentially doesn't have one or is looking to invest in one. Mate, it's so, so important. Like I am, um, I'm a pretty good agent from a tech from on the technical side. I'm a pretty good agent, right? I'll scrap with the best of them and I'm fine with that because I've dedicated what 16 years to perfection of estate agents of being an estate agent. And I still improve on that a lot. I read a lot of books. I'm watching a lot of trainings and that kind of stuff. But from the business perspective, I, I wasn't particularly um, good at all. So it's about recognizing where you need the help. And if you're an agent, a self-employed agent, and you need a coach or mentor, you need to go and get one. But in my, in my situation, it was the business looked like it was doing well, but it was doing really shit under the surface. And I didn't know how to get myself out of the shit. So I went and found the right help. And now he keeps me accountable. Everyone needs someone to answer to, whether I, but the mad thing is, is that I pay him to answer to him. Like that's, that's the mad thing about it, but it's really important to have it because um, we, I make poor decisions. We've just, I've, I've just put a job offer out to a lettings director to come on as, and literally take over the reins on the letting side of the business and really start to grow it. And that's a big, big logistical move for us. And I was a bit out of my depth, like get me an, an agent and wants to be shown how to bank 200 grand a year. I'm all for that. But the whole letting side of it, although I'm letting's experience, it's not my strong point and I need to make the right decision. And he helped me loads of stuff like that. Do you think if someone's, uh, whether they're self-employed or otherwise, I really like that uh, line you just said there, like everyone needs someone to answer to. I think it's important. You know, there is, I think a real shift in results, even if you are a self-starter and we talk about that discipline and stuff like that, when you have somebody who you can uh, even just share the bad days with, you know, um, they end up making sure that you have less and or that you don't dwell on them or anything like that. Or they make sure that your good days count for double because 
you have like the accountability to make sure that you are having a positive conversation with someone who you're answering to rather than like, yeah, no, nah, I didn't do that today. Do you think it's like, is it a requirement of people that come into your business that they have like an accountability partner or anything like that? Massively. That's why every agent that joins us gets someone on their back. Mm. Not, not, not for our benefit particularly, you know, it's totally for their benefit because we've got quite, quite strict. Oh, I say strict with what we're very conscious of is making sure that as a whole, the standards are being met. So power bespoke sets the standard expectation um, and that they have an agent keeping them accountable. So they kind of buddy up and, um, but it, the thing is with, with an accountability coach or a mentor, whatever you want to call it is you need to really respect them, like really, and listen to everything they say. If, if you don't, and you start doubting what they're saying or don't take their advice, then it starts to become a really bad relationship. I've always had mentors all since I've started, but as a business grew, I got to a stage where the mentor didn't have the answers and that was slowing me down. And I went to them to speed up, not to wait five days for them to get back to me on something. So you kind of need to know someone that you really respect, admire what they've achieved. Um, you can ring them, bang out a quick phone call. Within five minutes, I've got an answer. You can crack on. And how did you know Royston was the, the right person for you then? So if you've been through this process, you've had various mentors before, how, how did you find Royston and know? Because you obviously deeply respect him. I can see that from your know, social media posts and, and all the rest of it. But how did you know he was going to be the one to take your business to the next level? Because I was going to uh, Cape Verde at the end of 2016, right? And I had a ring in my bag because I was about to propose to Tash in Cape Verde. But I knew getting on that plane that if I was lucky, I had eight months left of the business because it was really not doing well at all. And the, you know, obligatory go to the bookshop when you, before you get on the plane and get a book. Um, and I picked up Built to Grow and I read it on holiday, much to Tasha's um, because I was like sitting on the beach. So, oh yeah, we're, we're getting married. Hang on. I'm reading. Still said yes. um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, um, so I read his book and I read it and it was like, man, this is unreal. Like it was a bit like the e-myth, which I really loved, but it was a bit more modern day about more of a structure and framework to grow in your business. Um, and then I just stalked the shit out of him for like five months, Twitter, office calls, letters, emails, managed to bust through his PA at the time. He was a bit of a bulldog and got an hour meeting with him at Gatwick Airport. Just said, look, here's where I am. He was like, bring your numbers. I'd love to sit down with you and answer any questions. And we just really gelled on that meeting and he could really see what we was trying to achieve with Power Bespoke. Kind of fill this, this, I think they call it maybe a grey space where you've got, you know, online at the time, this is what, 2017, online was, everyone was talking about it. Sleepy High Street. And we were trying to find this middle ground. And even today, we're trying to create this kind of hybrid of a hybrid of this, I kind of realised. But yeah, that's, that's, that's how I come across him. I've just decided he's going to mentor me and he doesn't know it yet, but he's going to mentor me. <laughs> awesome. Know what you want and go and get it, eh? Yeah. So um, I wanted to discuss your power negotiation service. Um, I know I saw a video that you've been banging the drum about a, a buyer's negotiation service for years and years, Perry. Um, 
and it kind of hadn't dawned on me till I heard you talk about it and put it as you do that every seller has professional representation. Why should a buyer not? So why do you think agents have never offered a onward negotiation service or maybe not charged for it? And sort of how did you implement that into the business and what sort of, you know, sort of key takeaways could you give the listeners on, on how that's worked for you guys? So I think agents have never done it because agents have never done it. <laughs> probably the easiest way of putting it like it's one of those you know when you get stuck into the way of doing things like and mm. i guess for any big for any big change nationally it needs to come from a big company and because none of them have really you know you know purple bricks comes along and people start offering an online offering to their to their agency and and i'm sure there was probably loads of businesses back in the day even before that that, that were offering an online offering um so yeah um I just think it's always not been done that way and that's why it's not been done. And it's just fair that a buyer should have an agent working for them as well as the seller. And interestingly, back to the performance culture, it's for power bespoke. I've been banging on about it for 10 years. I mean, since I had my first office with my old business partner in Croydon in 2010, um, it wasn't until the last couple of years at power bespoke that it really started to generate some real revenue because, uh, this is ridiculous. We moved it from, pos from position four on our kind of weekly agent catch-up agenda to position one. Like, I'm not even joking. You think, oh my God, the whole, I sat down with Royce and said, right, it's frustrating me because they're just not getting it. And I'm trying everything. I'm, I'm banging out bloody 50 grand reductions for clients and, and, and charging 20% of saving. But it's just not getting any traction in Power Bespoke. And we were looking at all little ways that we can improve on it. And the main one, we stick it on that first thing to discuss when we have our catch-ups as a team. What power negs have you got? Or what, what properties have you got under offer currently where the, where the seller's buying on? Wicked, let's talk about getting them to sign up to the Power Neg service. And then it become 100. It's probably, in 2019, it was 100 grand directly related to invoices that were raised for negotiating savings but i've said it before it probably it definitely did account for 200 grand of our revenue because a lot of the time we get better fees because of that extra onward service mm. would you say that that's the number one way you get referral business as well then about number one way in what, in what respect sorry so if you do a job where you sell their property for a premium price and then you go and save them 15 percent on their onward purchase you know and they're ecstatic 100, yeah Somebody yeah. then turns around and goes, holy shit, they've literally put thousands of pounds in my pocket. Everyone has to use Nicole Kirk, you know? I've, I've now sold, moved. See, we don't really talk about selling houses anymore because we've now moved four members of the same family, all at 2%, and all, all, all have got an average house price in that family of 600 grand because I first started with the parents with their million pounder. They were downsizing, hadn't moved for 25 years. They really wanted an agent on that on the end of the phone for them, and that worked really well. Then it was their kids, and then I helped the daughter sell. Like, and they're all two percent. And this is the thing with fees; it really does my nuts in. Let's not get into fees, actually, because I know we ain't got much longer left. But if you're good at what you do, you're going to get recommended regardless. So get recommended at two percent and one percent. That's it. I feel like we should get into fees now, Perry. Um, I reckon we should do. We should have a a proper like fee discussion at some stage 
where we have yeah, little multiple I'm... people in there because there's all over the country there's differing opinions on what's high what's low what's fair how to retain that fee how to justify it etc i think there's probably weeks worth of discussion and we can jump in on that um let me say one thing on that though because yeah, cool. in case that in case that never comes like i'm a massive fan <laughs> i'm a massive fan of like um until the day i die i will keep pushing up my fee that i charge people mm. and some people are like oh my god i charge i had a bit of a facebook spat once with a guy he's like well i charge what i need and what's fair i was like okay i'll charge every last penny i can get out of someone until the day i die the reason for that not because i'm trying to shyster to them the reason for that is every single day I'm becoming more valuable to them because I'm selling another house and then another house and then another house. I've now sold 979 houses. Soon it'll be 1500 houses and that brings more value. So if you're not keep pushing your fees up, you're doing yourself an injustice. I said to him, charge more and go and give to charity. You know, don't even worry about putting it in your pocket. If you're that worried about, you know, not making money out of people, give it to a charity. Make sure that person values a great estate agent and the reason why they're paying them that, that kind of money. And between us, we might actually end up increasing the average fee in the country rather than sending it fucking downwards. Right, moving on. <laughs> well, we said we were, we were going to get a bit yeah. of we'll, uh, Yeah, we'll, we'll move on before. There's, there, yeah. Have you got a bleeping there machine? Is, there is <laughs> definitely, no, we, love, we encourage swearing on this show, mate. There's definitely, <laughs> to, to wrap up in a nice, neat little bow on that feed chat, there is passion, unfortunately, at both ends. You know, passion for charging less and doing less because they believe that it's commoditized. And then there is passion equally for charging more and doing more because they understand that every service is unique to the client and to the agent. And actually, some people, you know, probably are undercharging at 3%, whereas other people cannot get in their heads how they would charge more than half a percent because of what they do in their business. And I think that uh, once we get through this, series of facebook groups stuff like that mark we might have a chat on fees a little bit more because i would imagine as we get closer to the end of this year uh fees are going to play a massive role um in and it, not only like service levels but actually making sure businesses are able to keep trading and then to put a bow on top of the bow <laughs> you can't you can't be a one percent agent and charge two percent mm, got to agreed. be a two percent agent as well that's i think the difference some people don't they know they aren't worth 2% maybe because they've not improved themselves enough, haven't upskilled themselves enough. And so they just stay at their comfort level 1%. Let's, let's move yeah. on before we put a bow on the bow on the bow. Why you have a mentor is so you can go and do all that sort of stuff. And that, that leads us to, so we're talking to um, the sort of runners and owners of like the agency Facebook groups in the UK over the last few weeks and the next few weeks. And so we wanted to have a chat with you just to understand why you set up the power agent group um, and sort of what drives you to like, you're one of the, I would say probably three like groups out there that have the most engagement, the most traction, the most following. You also share probably more than a lot of guys out there. Like why did you set that up in the first place? And, I think that ties in nicely to the changing your mindset about who you are and what you do so you can end up charging more as well. Um, so I've got this, um, so my personal mission is to enable more people to move on to the next chapter of their life. So I don't care if that's Miss Mrs. Jones moving to a little bungalow or that's John looking to go to the next stage of his agency career, all about next chapter of your life. 
and the Facebook group is just a great way to to help people do that with sharing little nuggets of information. It's kind of as as we see it at Power Bespoke. Um, we're on a growth journey. We're on a hump. Um, we've always we have I have and we have down days and up days and but but first and foremost it was upskill agents because I don't know what is in this country. We've got this seat. We're like MI5 of a state agency. Like we just keep things so secret and we, we don't want to let out our secrets to other agents. And, and actually, how about we let out the secrets and then um, that might just improve John and Jane moving house, which is a great thing. Yeah, agreed. And did, did it sort of take off? I think 1,300 members um, last time I looked, Perry. Did that sort of take off much more than you expected? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To manage a group properly, I don't probably give it half as much attention as I should because it is just me and my mobile in between phone calls and appointments trying to approve posts and let people in and stuff like that. But it stayed really, really good, I think. And I keep it. And all I do really is share the odd bit of check out this done at Power Bespoke and share a bit of advice, share a bit, a bit of training series. Because the thing is, right, the way I looked at it, I'm here to grow Power Bespoke through upskilling estate agent partners, right? Ultimately, that's how we're going to grow revenue. Either grow agent numbers, which I know that's some of the models in the UK's model. Mine isn't. Mine's to also, mine's to grow agent numbers, but only once our current agents are at a certain level of, of output and they're bringing in a certain amount of money, which is business at times, they get a good share of it, but they need to keep increasing revenue. Um, and so... I built the group because I've got to train them anyway. I've got to improve them. I've got to improve myself through mentoring and coaching. Then I improve them. And the group just another way of helping more agents. Okay? Yeah, awesome. A constant strive um, for improving. And I think that goes, it relates back to virtually everything you've talked about today, that performance culture, that, that um, chat on fees. Um, a question we ask everybody that comes on um, the podcast Perry, is what does world-class agency look like to you? Good question. Um, a five-star review at the end of it. So what do you need to do to get a five-star review? That would, that, that, that would depend what you discussed when you sat in the living room when you first met them. So every case is different. Uh, I think, you see, world-class agency, it depends what you just... Depends what you define for yourself as being world class, um, ultimately. But but forgetting yourself for a minute, it's that client at the end of it. And if they're leaving a five star review, high five to you. Move on to your next, I guess. Oh, that's about, about know your client and tailor your service so that it's world class to them, <laughs> rather than the same every time. Some clients we sell for way under our asking price. As much as I don't want them to, they just want to move on because they get a good offer, and that's you know. They get not a good offer, but they get an offer that solves their problem that they're in right now, and it lets them move. Although my percentage of asking prices are pretty shocking on that deal. Get a five-star review at the end of it. Happy days. Awesome. I think that's a great place to um, to bring it to an end. Thank you very much, Perry. If anyone wants to get in touch, reach out on Facebook, reach out, join the group, that sort of thing. Yeah, please do. Message. Yeah, love it. Awesome. Thanks, Pez. Appreciate your time, man. And I know we got you out of bed early. Uh-huh. I'll go back to bed now. Later on. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. See you later. See you later.
A massive thank you to Perry Power for joining us on today's podcast. Um, loads and loads of takeaways for me there, Sam. As I said in the intro, Perry was kind enough to, to speak to me about um, his business a few weeks ago, just as we were coming out of lockdown. Uh, we've implemented the self-employed model um, in Moving Works over the last few weeks. And one of the big things that I took from that chat, which we went into and had a more in-depth discussion about today, was the performance culture. So mm. culture, massive buzzword. We've spoken to loads of people about it. Um, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone sort of categorize it as, as he did and actually call it a performance culture. And I love that. Um, and that's coming from someone who is in a family family business with my with my mum. So there's definitely going to be some family and parental culture within our business. So we've probably got to work harder than a lot of people to try and get that performance culture um, and to know what that looks like. Yeah, I, I think it is a buzzword when you talk about culture. And I really liked it. Perry outlined like the different types of cultures that I think him and Royston went through. Um, that was something that I'd learnt and want to actually dive in a little bit deeper on in my time as well. Um, but when you, this is why I wanted to ask him that question about performance culture. Like when you hear that performance, high performance, whatever it is, you just assume like cash money, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you assume high tax bill, nice car, all that sort of stuff. When actually I, I like, he, th- he sort of said like performance is however you define it. So one of the staff members defines what she needs to achieve in four days. Yeah. because that's how she wants to live her life. And I think real estate's a great industry where you're able to sort of live life on your terms as well. Um, it's understanding like that performance is about discipline and about structure. Um, you know, good example is uh, the performances of Liverpool since they won the league. <laughs> like that, that performance against Man City last week it was the performance of a football team that had been on the lash for a week. Yes, it was, you know? wasn't it? Um, I think they're all still sweating. I can't imagine they would have smelled very good out in that field. <laughs> but it shows you that when you when you break that discipline, you know, when you break that structure, even just for a celebratory thing, it affects performance. Yeah. Um, and you need to make sure that you're doing those those boring things, those disciplined activities, really, really well. Um, and I think that that's probably the difference between the ship Perry runs to a, a number of those others is that you can go into his business and you can make big money, but there's also expectations put on you that this is when you do this and this is what you do this. And every part of this is non-negotiable and you'll be held accountable as well. Yeah. I think that that discipline and structure was not something or is not something Perry takes lightly. You could tell, and I've spoken to him and we always have a, you know, a laugh when we speak, but you can tell he is also super serious and, you know, consistently disciplined, keeping to his structure. What I took, I think sort of one of the biggest sort of moments that made me sit up in my chair was when he talked about not doing any appointments on Friday, even if it's a £2 million, 2% fee, it doesn't matter. He is that structured that he will not deviate from the structure that he does and obviously part of that is you know I think he might have said um, his own OCD that he can't settle until he's done all of his non-negotiables of which there are a significant number I would I would hazard a guess at um, but he just does that that same structure every single time and doesn't deviate mm. from it and I thought that was a really powerful message to take 
from the podcast today if you take nothing else that that's the difference i think to relate it to a sporting analogy again like that is the difference between world-class athlete to somebody else is every day they might eat the same thing seven days a week three times a day or four times a day or whatever it is but they have everything is to achieve whatever the goal is that they've defined for themselves or, or whatever it is. And, and it's the same in business you know particularly like this is a point we probably don't harp on about as much as we should in in our industry but you have control over almost everything in real estate you know like it is it is such a individual's craft yes you can be supported you know and yes the leads can come in and you can do all that but you can have control over your diet your activities how you answer the phone how you dial people out do you stand up when you speak to people what are the language that you're going to be using what questions do you ask you know what prospecting do you employ um you know what's your follow-up like do you have that seven step contact process from appraisal books to actually going out and doing the appointment or anything like that so that's all part of that mentality that high performance mentality um and if you're just take an appointment. Yeah. I'll confirm with you over email and everything like that. Then you will perform at that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. I, um, to carry on the sporting analogy, I read a book tools of Titans once and it's mm. a series of interviews. Have you, have you read it? Yep. Um, and one of them was with a high performance athlete, maybe a triathlete or Iron- Ironman, I think probably. And they said that they love training in the rain because they know, that there will be someone somewhere, you know, taking not doing. the decision not to do it. Yeah. Um, because, and I think that's, that's that consistency down to it. And that's where you get the benefit. So in this particular person's example, which I'm sorry, I can't remember the, the name to, to bring the example to life, but in their example, they're doing it consistently. The weather doesn't matter to them. They know that they'll get the benefit of, someone else choosing not to train because of the weather and it's exactly the same i suppose in in anything you do in life not just a state agency but if you can take that consistency and not deviate from it then you're going to have better performance to to go back and it all goes back to the performance culture i think yeah i think it was um uh, i've just to continue our veil of uh transparency it's a lady called amelia boone in that book um cool she's a uh, like a cross country runner, long distance ultra marathoner sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she, she says that she's not the strongest, not the fastest, but she's really good at suffering. Um, <laughs> and she just puts herself through what she needs to every day so that when the race comes around, she's okay with, with the suffering that she goes through. And I think it's a, it's a bit the same in business. You know, if you get really good at having 20 conversations a day, you know, then when that's, that's putting you in the, uh, like right mindset to handle the business that's going to come to you off the back of that. Whereas if you don't do any work and suddenly you're really busy, you're going to feel quite overawed. I reckon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have taken on something again that Perry talked about. We talked, we talked briefly on it, um, but his onward negotiation. Um, mm. So I was on a webinar that Perry had maybe before lockdown, maybe during lockdown um, about his power neg service and it was a real light bulb moment for me when I watched that webinar because we've, we offer onward negotiation for our clients, always have done, always included it in the price if someone wants to take us on that. And really, you know, Perry's quite right. Why would we do that free of charge 
and why would somebody not want to have expert representation when they're buying a house because actually it is quite unfair if you're selling a house and the buyer you will know this from years and years buyers when they ring you to make an offer make a number of mistakes on that telephone call which is great as agents our job is to get our sellers the best price so if a house is on the market at 500,000 they come in with 400,000 and say but we're willing to go to 480,000 your job's done for you right you you know that you're not going to advise your client to accept anything until you get them to at least 480 but how much does that cost the potential buyer? So that buyer representation, as Perry said, it, it's just fair, um, I think is, is really, really important. And if anyone hasn't spoken to Perry about that or, or looking to impl- hasn't implemented that into the business, I think that would be a really big thing for them to take away from today's pod. Massively. I think it's just, to even simplify it down further, it's just part of a really good service. Yeah. You know, and from a agent fee perspective it is also if you have control over a little bit more of their onward purchase then you have a little bit more control over the chain as well Mm -hmm. Um, and that's going to give the purchases that you've negotiated for that client the best like a good outcome saying well actually i'm helping them negotiate on their onward purchase as well Mm -hmm. so we'll look to get that wrapped up really quickly and we'll get things moving so don't delay on your side just because they look like they haven't found yet we're going to be able to wrap this up quickly as well and, and I, this is why I wanted to ask Perry that referral question, because for me, this is where the majority of your referrals should come because everybody who moves house knows somebody who's moving house for the next few months. So even if you don't get their stock on, you could just provide them with that service. Absolutely. And there's a referral there and there's a fee opportunity there. And then if they move into your area, they become a database, like client-based contact for life then they're going to be maybe one of your hundred, like you and I were talking about the other day where it's their job to go and get you a referral year in, year out or whatever it's going to be. So it's just another string to your bow to show people that you are a professional, not a commodity. You're performing a service. It's not just this photos portal away you go uh, model. That makes sense. So it is a, it's an interesting one. Uh, and, And something that I think every agent needs to at least give some serious thought to having in their kit bag. We've got to, if the market, you know, does become more challenging, you are going to need to, we talked briefly on fees, but you are going to need to earn as much money from each client as you can. And obviously you've got to deliver a really good service to back that up. But if you, if you can save them 10 grand and take 20% of that saving, then, then why not? I pitched it to a client for the first time last week, actually. Um, which I wasn't successful in, but I'd also not prepared to pitch it. But from having the conversations in the office and from being on Perry's webinar, I spoke to somebody about it because we were talking about the onward negotiation. Mm. Um, so that is definitely going to be something that we're going to implement. Would that have been something that you would have done in, in when you were in agency in Australia, Sam? Uh, no, is the honest answer to that question. Um, my entire world, so it was me originally, uh, so when I started, I was a PA and my, my role as a PA was just to run buyers. I give advice, um, but I wouldn't ever get involved in other agents sort of negotiations or anything like that. Yeah. It just was something. And then when I became an agent of my own, my sole focus was prospecting listings auctions. That's what it was, yeah. you know, make sure give buyers incredible service, but about my stock. Yeah. Okay. You know? Um, and then when I sort of transitioned into having a PA that worked with me, it was all I did was 
anybody who was thinking about making a move in the next six months, that was all I called. You know? So I was keep them informed. If something popped up around the corner from their house, I needed to call them before the, that agent did to tell them it had come on the market. Yeah. So that when that agent, if they did call them, let's say there's 10 agents in an area. If I called somebody about every piece of stock that was listed, the listing agent, maybe two of them would actually do the same in that area would actually bother saying, Hey, I've just listed number 13, you know, come to the open home on the weekend. And I wanted to make sure that by the time, if they made that phone call, that person would be like, I already knew. Thank you. Yeah. And you then know. you're going to get the instruction off the back of it. Well, then I'd tell them everything that happened. You know, this is, I guess it's, it's a bit easier in Australia because you know the full address and you can give people like, you can say number 13's come up in your road or whatever. Now I think over here, you probably just have to be like, did you see the one that's come up in your road? No. And if someone says, what number is it? You'd be like, oh, it's at the other end of your street or something like that. <laughs> it was, it will frustrate me forever more that agents don't list full addresses here, but that's just my, what I learned. And I think it is what it is, you know, sometimes you just, it's ingrained in you, what you know. Um, so it is, that, that's a story for another day. Um, one thing that, and I know we're sort of running for time, but one thing I, I really liked about what Perry ran through was, was just the point on mentorship. You know, I think I credit a lot of my career to date and definitely a lot of my sanity to date to my mentor. It, it is the case of you have somebody you can send a WhatsApp to, even if they're on the other side of the world or somebody that you can pick up the phone to and just have a very, honest conversation when you're having a good day and when you're having a bad day, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they'll give you advice. And all that advice is, is them talking about the mistakes they've made over time and their, and their pain associated learning to come back to where we started yeah. the podcast today. Um, and I think it's pretty clear from, from Pez's own experience, what he was going through with that one and what he's going through now, not to say that life is perfect now, I would imagine that there are still daily challenges within his life, but he's better equipped to handle them because of the team he has around him. And I think the thing on that that really sort of stuck out for me was him looking inward first. He said he recognised his weaknesses and Royston, you know, comes in there with strengths in the areas that he's weak at. And, you know, we can't all be all things to all people. Um, and then obviously the accountability side of things. And just before we go, I want to talk about the importance of language and then move on to um, what world-class agency looks like to mm. Perry Power, who I would completely agree, best name in the state agency. Um, the importance of language, he talked about moving people, not selling houses. Mm. And as we do these podcasts, we pick up little terms from virtually everyone that comes on who has a slightly different take on some language, but I really like that. Um, and obviously that's then done consistently and implemented um, throughout the business. And I think the world-class agency um, answer goes right back to almost where we started with this. So when you talked about performance culture, it wasn't the same for everyone. And um, Perry's answer to world-class agency incidentally, you know, basically meant that world-class agency isn't the same to everyone but it's, it's having the structure, being able to adapt it into, um, you know, what that client needs and what's important to them. Yeah. If you get that five-star review, you've ticked their boxes. You've been world-class to them. And, and you're right, that will differ between it. I think that there's probably, um, there are things in there that will be common across everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, in a nutshell, if you can, more than satisfy your client to the point where they're moved enough to publicly 
like sing your praises, then you've done your job. Then you've been world-class. Absolutely. Um, I must say thank you once again to Perry Power for joining us on today's podcast. Um, thank you very much for listening. We do this because we love our industry. We want to, we want to see it improve. So if you like what we do, please like, please share it out on social media, encourage any colleagues or maybe competitors to have a listen as well. Um, thanks very much, Sam. Appreciate you joining us today. I'm Mark Worrell. He's Sam Hunter. We will see you again next week.